Good morning. As Scott said, my name is Elizabeth. Um, the reading this morning, Mark chapter 16, verse 1 to 8. Jesus has reason. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has reason. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And uh, wonderful to be with you here today as we celebrate uh, what is the, uh, really the keystone to Christian thinking. Uh, some of you may have heard of the name Frank, Frank Abagnale. Frank Abagnale. Uh, there was a film made about him called Catch Me If You Can. And uh, you might have seen So he's a well-known con man in the United States who's uh, traded on his ability to con people to make, make money. So at one stage, he pretended to be an airline pilot. Uh, another stage, a surgeon in a major hospital in the United States. And on another occasion, he actually got a tenured position as a professor in a university, right? He was very good at talking. Uh, one of the, the cons, though, that really, as I... Uh, read about this guy that really caught my attention was quite simple and just points to uh, how clever he was. Sneaky, but uh, clever. So he noticed that uh, people who own businesses at the end of the day would go to a safety deposit box and put their takings into the safety deposit box. That gave him an idea. So what he did was he hired a guard's outfit and wore that and made a sign, uh, which he took to this safety deposit box. And the sign, which he put over the box, read, out of order, please give your money to the guard, okay? And he just stood there with a sack, and everyone came up, read the sign, and put all their money into this sack, and the, uh, he made, like, simple, isn't it? I mean, terrible at con people, but so clever, really, in terms of, you know, the ingenuity. Uh, can I say, this, this weekend, uh, over 2.4 billion people across the world are meeting to celebrate Easter. And it all hinges on whether Jesus rose again from the dead 2,000 years ago. Now, can I say, if it didn't happen, then we are really part of the greatest sustained hoax this world has ever seen. And Christians, by definition, are some of the world's biggest hucksters. Right? Uh, Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Scott referred to it before, he says that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Christians are to be pitied. Right? We're idiots, really, because we believe in something that didn't happen. In fact, we base our whole lives on 
what effectively would be a lie if Jesus, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But it's not just that Christians are to be pitied, right? It's that Christians are actually quite evil. Uh, that is, evil in the sense that we're convinced about this truth and we want to convince other people that they should also believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And of course, if that didn't happen, then we're the ultimate con people in the history of this world. See, that's what it all hinges on, whether Jesus rose from the dead. So here's the question I want us to think about today. Were Jesus' first followers, were they the architects of the biggest hoax in history or not? And we're going to do the, think about that by just looking at the passage that Elizabeth just uh, read for us. And I'll, I'll take us through it. If you've got a Bible, great to follow on. But if not, you'll be fine. So the first question I want to ask is whether people in the first century were, were gullible. Because often I think that's the way they're portrayed. You know, I um, lived in a superstitious age, unscientific. So not surprising that they would have believed that someone could have risen from the dead, right? That's that sort of belief. Whereas we, you know, 21st century Western people, we're better educated, we're scientific, we have insight. We know that dead people don't rise, all right? We know that, don't we? So just was it just a case of gullibility? I mean, if we'd been there, we wouldn't have been conned. Uh, often that, that question is put that way. But here's the thing. People in the first century, they knew that dead people didn't come back to life. In fact, they probably understood that better than we understand it. They were much more uh, in touch with death than we are. In our society, we hide death in hospitals, uh, behind crematorium walls. Uh, we euphemize about it. We tend to distance ourselves from it. First century, that wasn't the case. People encountered death very close up. Uh, the people who died, they knew. They lived with death and disease on a daily basis. When Jesus died, everyone who was close to him or close to those events, they believed he was dead. If you went back to chapter 15, the chapter before the one we read, Joseph of Arimathea, he comes to Pilate and asks for Jesus' body so he can bury it. That's the point. What Pilate does is he summons the centurion who was in charge of Jesus' crucifixion. He gets him in just to confirm Jesus was dead before he does something with the body. And in chapter 15, verse 45, uh, this centurion, who's, who's like, um, he's an expert in, in killing. He's like the first century coroner, right? It, not quite, but you know, he really did understand death. And in fact, if he got it wrong about Jesus being dead, said he was dead when he wasn't, then it would be his life. Right? He had a lot at stake. He confirms that Jesus is dead. Uh, in chapter 15, verse 40, Jesus' friends had watched him die. They included uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of uh, Joseph, uh, the younger, and uh, Salome. Right? They're the three who actually turn up on the Sunday morning. And as we read, Right at the beginning of chapter 16, these three women turn up with spices to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, what were these three women expecting to find when they came to the tomb? It's not hard to work out. Dead Jesus, right? That's what they're expecting to find. And interestingly, this is despite the fact that Jesus had told them time and time and time again 
that he was going to rise from the dead. Right? They'd heard him say this, but it hadn't stuck. So back in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus taught them that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Then in chapter 9, verse 31, Jesus says, they'll kill me and after three days I will rise. Then in chapter 10, verse 33, he says, three days later I will rise. Right? Jesus had consistently said he was going to rise from the dead. So why didn't these women believe? Well, I'll tell you why. They weren't stupid. Right? They weren't idiots. They knew dead people stayed dead. It's interesting, in the first century, uh, the Greek thought was that the best thing that could happen to you when you died was to leave your body behind. You know, your spirit would soar. And even the first century Jews, they had a sense of... Um, God renewing all things at the end of the age, but they didn't have any belief in the resurrection of individuals from the dead. These women did not believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. They didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. In fact, they didn't believe it any more than 21st century uh, people believe in the resurrection from the dead. So, so what convinced them? What, what changed their minds? Well, they arrive at the tomb and they're wondering how they're going to get inside. There was a big rock, not a chocolate egg, but a big rock uh, that was covering the tomb and they hadn't worked this bit out. Then in chapter 16, verse 4, we're told they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So they thought, Jesus must have risen from the dead. No, that's not what they thought. They went inside to anoint the body. That's what they did. And then they saw this young bloke, and then they were scared. Right, what's this guy doing here? And in chapter 16, verse 6, this guy says to them, Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. And you can almost see the cogs in these women's brains turning over. Jesus was crucified. Yep, yep, saw that. Felt that. <laughs> it was profound. Jesus is risen. No, don't get that at all. I have no experience to put that information into. There is no category, no box that this information matches. Because so here's the thing. Even if they thought there was some chance that Jesus had risen from the dead, then they wouldn't have come to this tomb. Uh, let me show you why. Back in chapter 14, so a couple of chapters before this bit we're looking at, Jesus is talking to his friends. Right? It's only a couple of hours before he's due to die. It's uh, chapter 14, verse 28. This is what he says to them. After I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Now, you need to understand uh, Galilee is two to three days' journey north of Jerusalem. Right? That, that's, that's what they're mentioning. So if these women had believed that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead, they would have gone straight to Galilee because that's where they were going to meet him. Where are they? Jerusalem. Right? Why are they in Jerusalem? Dead people don't rise. Okay, that's why they're in Jerusalem. Jesus' first followers, were they gullible? 
No. Not at all. And so they're told again in chapter 16, verse 7, uh, by this, this young man in the tomb, he's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. It's a little bit embarrassing, really. <laughs> you know, just sort of just as he told you, right? There's just this little bite at the end. You see, these friends, they're shown to be unbelieving failures. And interestingly, this um, biography of Jesus, this account, it, it finishes just here. The absence of the body, but the promise that they'd see him again. And of course they do. You can uh, check it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Hundreds see Jesus over 40 days. Um, Mark chapter 16, it's interesting. We're given the names of people so that uh, those who read about it can actually follow up with those women and uh, interrogate them because they did, in fact, see Jesus in due course. And there are other accounts to show how the disciples met Jesus in Galilee and around Jerusalem numbers of times. Now, there'll be many of us here who are convinced about Jesus rising from the dead, uh, but, but maybe uh, you're in a position where you're not, not so convinced. I didn't get convinced about this till I was about 20 years of age at university. So I had in my mind, um, yeah, the Easter Bunny, okay, uh, Father Christmas and Jesus. All sort of friendly, nice ideas, but none of them actually real. And for the first time in my life, I actually sat down and I read the New Testament, the accounts about Jesus, thought them through and became convinced that Jesus rising from the dead, uh, his death and resurrection, were a matter of factual history. Now, can I say, if you're in, you're in that same sort of boat where you're not totally convinced, uh, checking out the information as an adult is a really smart way to go and just to think it through. I know, um, I think, Scott, you're planning to run a, run a course, yeah, yeah, called Life, which is designed to help people explore this sort of stuff. Scott will um, fill you in on that just a little later on. Jesus rose from the dead. But so what? Um, why is that significant information? Uh, why is it more than just an impressive historical fact? Who can tell me what happened on the 21st of July, 1969? Yeah? Perhaps before some of you were born, not everyone. 21st of July, 1969. Well done, moon landing. Okay, that was the, uh, the first man, Neil Armstrong, to walk on the moon. Uh, he stepped out of the Apollo lunar module and made history. Now, I want to tell you, I was in primary school at the time. It was terrific. We got out of school so I could sit in front of a TV and watch this event. And uh, it was extraordinary. We all cheered. You know, it was wonderful. But, you know, I, I can't say that it really has had all that much impact on my life. You know, apparently the big outcome of the moon landing was the discovery of Teflon. Uh, for fry pans and stuff like that. That was a big profound impact, of, apart from the event itself. Now, yesterday, I, um, I was at Adelaide Oval. Someone gave me some tickets so I can go and watch the crows thrash 
Fremantle, right? You know, it was wonderful. We all cheered. You know, but really, that was yesterday's news. You know, sort of, I've already moved on from that. We cheered. We all went home. So today, is that what's going on? You know, we're all good together. Say, good one, Jesus, you know. And then we sort of think, I wonder what we're having for lunch, you know, sort of move on. See, why? Why is it significant? Let me just pick up on a, a couple of things uh, just for us to think about. Can I for, so first of all, the resurrection actually is not safe news. It's not safe news. Did you see the way the women reacted to the information about Jesus being alive? I mean, this is their close friend. What would you expect would be their response? You know, they hear this news, Jesus is alive. Wouldn't you expect them to go, yeah, you know, sort of punch the air, high fives, you know? And uh, so you would have thought that was, yeah, tears of joy. Listen again to their response. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and they fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They were terrified. Now, can I say that people often responded to Jesus this way? It's interesting. If I took you back to Mark chapter 4, from verse 35, you'd read an account about Jesus being out in a boat with some of his mates. They're in the middle of the sea and a big storm arises. Now, the guys in the boat with him, disciples, they're seasoned fishermen, right? They're not scared about being out in boats. But at this time, because of the storm, all these disciples, they're thinking, we are dead meat, right? We, we are going to die, is what they were thinking. And Jesus, he stands up in the boat and he speaks to the storm uh, like it's a pet dog, right? Except the storm obeys, right? He says, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely still. Now, you want one of his friends in the boat, how are you feeling at this point? You know, I would have thought relief, you know, we're not going to die. This is a really uh, yeah, positive thing. Um, Maybe they, they want Jesus to teach him how to do it. You know, was it the hand movements or, you know, the tone of the voice, quiet, be still, you know, sort of channel Darth Vader or something like that. You'd sort of think maybe they'd be trying to do that. Listen, listen to their response, okay? Chapter 4, verse 41. They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And I get it. I mean, what's scarier? To be caught in a life-threatening storm or to be on a boat with a guy who controls nature? You know, like, this is just a bit terrifying. Do you get the point when we come to the resurrection? Death has an unstoppable inertia. See, the one thing I can say with absolute confidence is that death is going to run right over the top of every single person in this room. Sure, you can maybe put it aside, you can put it back for a while, hold it off, but eventually it will win. And you cannot do anything to prevent it. 
But Jesus crushed it. Jesus destroyed it. And you get this window into the absolute authority and power of God. And can I say it's meant to send shivers up your spine? It's actually meant you to, to actually cause you to stop and go, whoa. Yeah. Second thing about the resurrection, it's, it's not just a window into the raw power of God, but it, it assures us that we can have a relationship with God. I want to take you to, I think, what is the most beautiful line in Mark chapter 16. We've got this messenger in the tomb, and he says to the women in verse 7, go and tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus, he, is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. Isn't that interesting? His disciples and Peter. Now, that's, can I say this is the ultimate redundancy? Peter was a disciple, right? We could have saved words here, right? Tell his disciples that he's going to hit disciples and Peter. Why the special mention? Just before Jesus' uh, death, let me uh, read you a conversation between Jesus and Peter. It's in chapter 14, verses 29 to 31. Jesus said to Peter, I, I tell you the truth, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself would disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. I will never do that. Later that night, Peter's outside the place where Jesus is being tried. Let me continue the story. Chapter 14, verse 69. When the servant girl saw Peter there, she said to those standing around, this fellow, he's one of them. And again, Peter denied it. And after a little while, those standing near Peter said to him, surely you're one of them. You're a Galilean. And Peter began to call down curses on himself. And he said to them, I don't know this man. You know, the one you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Have you ever had that, that experience where something you've done, something you've said, something you've failed to do, has so destroyed a relationship and the trust in a relationship that you think, oh, there's, there's no way back from here. No possibility of this being mended in any way. It's hard to imagine um, how Peter felt, you know, the guilt, uh, the self-loathing, the shame. And then here's the thing. Jesus died. How do you sort it out? No ability. And Jesus says, go tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter. 
Peter had turned his back on Jesus, uh, but Jesus had not turned his back on Peter. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. Because there on the cross, uh, Jesus takes Peter's failure to treat Jesus, to treat God uh, properly. He died on the cross for our, our sin. And can I say, it's not just Peter. It's every single one of us. You see, every single one of us has actually turned our back on God. We haven't treated him properly. And Jesus went to the cross for his disciples and Peter and you and me. Maybe, again, you feel today like there's no way back to God because of things uh, that you've done. Uh, but Jesus' resurrection uh, stands as the truth that says to you and you, there's forgiveness for everyone in the Lord Jesus Christ. But, of course, here's the thing. Uh, Jesus had told his disciples he was going to die he also said he'd rise, but quite honestly, if he didn't rise, there is no forgiveness and there is no relationship with God. Uh, this resurrection hinges the reality of a future hope that we might have. Then the last thing I just want to draw attention to is the fact that uh, every single person in this room will see Jesus. At the tomb, this is what the women are told. Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And they did see him. Now you can check it out. Just go to the end of Matthew's gospel. You can see the way in which they're connected together. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us that every single one of us will see him too. But I took you to a place like um, uh, the second letter of, to the Corinthians, chapter 5. We're told there we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, that is, uh, we will all give account to the one who defeated the irresistible force of the universe, death, the one who will never die again. All of us will come before him and give account. Now, can I, can I ask, how does that make you feel? the thought that you will front up before Jesus at the end of the age. Uh, maybe you feel just a tad nervous, um, maybe even a bit fearful like the women at the tomb. And if that's the case, can I say again, it's worthwhile checking it out because it's worthwhile trying to work out the nature of your relationship with God or the absence of it. And good to sort it out with God now before you actually appear before the Lord Jesus on that day. But for many of us, our, our trust is already in Jesus. And if that's the case, can I say uh, it is wonderful news that we will see him, wonderful news that he has been raised from the dead. It seems to me our world is filled with anxieties and uncertainties. Uh, you know, you've got the, the war between Russia and the Ukraine. You've got the, uh, the geopolitical tensions and 
Asia and the Pacific sort of region. Uh, it's hard not to be a little bit concerned about the economic stresses that are occupying our nation and the world. And there are going to be issues that individuals and families in this room have that are very personal to you. But here's the thing. If your trust is in Jesus, then you know the one who rules over death. You know the one who rules over and superintends all of life. And you know the one who has secured you to himself for all eternity. And can I say that no matter what's going on around you, there is no more secure place to be than in a relationship with God through the one who died and rose again from the dead for you. That's the thing we celebrate and rejoice in today. Can I pray for us? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, you have wonderfully provided for us in your son. Uh, Father, we thank you that uh, Jesus did the unthinkable, really, in defeating death and rising from the dead. Thank you that that assures us of a restored relationship with you for those who put their trust in him. Father, thank you that it gives us supreme confidence as we look into the, the window of eternity, knowing that you provided for us into the future. And Father, we pray that our hearts would just be filled uh, with, with joy, uh, that for those of us who are still thinking these sort of things through, that you'll keep stirring us and helping us to understand what this means. But Father, we pray that today, as always, we'll have that sense of confidence, security, uh, forgiveness, knowledge, and hope that only come because you've provided for us in Jesus himself. And we pray these things in Jesus' special name. Amen.